Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I pray for you regularly. Uh, Saturday morning is praying for Matt and Aaron, their family, and, and for your congregation along with others. And so yesterday I was praying for you guys. And uh, I am thankful for the good work of the Lord in your midst and thankful uh, that you are seeking the Lord. I mean, this is a pretty big day. 59 years as a congregation uh, is good to remember. It's good to reflect. And it's always best to go back to the word and soak ourselves in the gospel and its power. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. If you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we will consider verses 22 through 25. Now, what is Peter doing? He's writing to a bunch of different congregations that are in modern-day Turkey, ancient Asia Minor, and they were facing persecution. You see that strung along. He mentions it in the first chapter. In the third chapter, he talks about how uh, we are to sanctify Christ as Lord and be ready to give an answer, an apologia, a reason for the hope that is in us yet with gentleness and fear. And then you get to chapter 4 and he's saying, what are you so shocked about? You're suffering? What you so shocked about? That's part of living in this fallen world. That's part of living with opposition. So what he's doing, he's teaching these churches, anchor yourselves in Christ and his gospel. And it's fascinating how he works this, and, and I'd love just to unpack for eh, about 30 minutes before we get to the sermon, but I'm not going to do that. But what, what he does in this first chapter, he just keeps bringing them back and back to the gospel. He wants them to think about what has God done for you in Jesus Christ? What has he done? And he, he talks about how according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance. And he describes it as being imperishable, undefiled. It will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You, you see what he's doing? He's saying, keep thinking about what God has done. How do you deal with the struggles in this life? How do you press on as the people of God? You've got to keep going back to the fountain. Uh, you, you keep going back to Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead and all of the fruit that comes out of that gracious work of our Lord. And so that's what I want us to think about this morning in considering new birth people. Verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever and this is the word which was preached to you this is god's word may he write that word on our hearts well 1963 brought a lot of significant events in our nation 
uh, Studebaker quit building their boxy cars in 1963. Alcatraz, that prison in San Francisco Bay, shut down because they had too many repairs that needed to be made. The zip code system began. Yes, kids, the zip code system has not always been around, but it began the year this church started. Uh, the Civil Rights Movement began to be in the headlines in 63. President Kennedy was assassinated in that year. Um, homes cost under $13,000 during that year. And in 1963, Cedar View Baptist Church came into existence. It was significant, I think, when you look at a time of national unrest and instability that a new Baptist church was planted right outside of the community of Olive Branch. Now, new churches did not happen often during that time. I remember it just, I mean, it's just very unusual if the new church started. Now, it's cool nowadays to plant churches. You were praying for a church plant in Kansas. Uh, thanks be to the Lord. We pray for those. We support them. We encourage them. Lots of that's going on, and we desperately, desperately need that. But in 1963, that was kind of unusual. But a new Baptist church started with distinctives that identify Baptist churches. So what made Cedarview a Baptist church? It wasn't because the name was on the sign and said Baptist. That does that doth not make a Baptist. But rather, there are distinctions that we've been holding to for the last 400 years as Baptists. One of those, we believe in baptism by immersion as the point of identification that we are followers of Jesus Christ. A second thing, we believe in the corporate priesthood of all believers so that we have the confidence that as we come together and we humbly seek the face of the Lord, we can understand God's Word. We don't depend upon some magisterium somewhere telling us what the Bible says, and we go, oh, okay. No, we can seek the Lord corporately and, and understand that. And maybe the most important of our convictions as Baptists is that we believe that a member of a local Baptist church must be regenerate, born again. This shows uh, that we stand upon solid convictions. And this, this matter of the new birth is one of those convictions upon which everything else flows from. But it's easy for us to drift in our thinking as a Baptist church. We can become complacent. We can let things slide instead of thinking about that bedrock foundation of regenerate church membership, being born again, being new birth people. We can kind of let that slide. We can be enamored with all kinds of different activities and programs and ideas. But we mustn't lose focus of what Jesus told Nicodemus. To see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And this was a man who was exemplary as a religious person. He knew the scriptures, but he had never been born again. And that's the message that we have held to since the early 1600s as Baptists. We believe in the new birth. We believe it is foundational to all that we are as a congregation of followers of Jesus Christ. And the new birth affects the church's faith and practice. 
So what ways do we see the impact of this new birth? That's, that's what Peter helps us to see in this text. And I want us to think about it under three divisions this morning. The first is the new birth changes how we live. Now, Jesus' use of new birth language to Nicodemus identifies a number of truths, but I'll point out three of those of what it means to be members of the kingdom of God. One is that at birth, as, as a new birth, as a birth, it means the one who is born doesn't initiate that birth. None of us initiated our births. We got to experience it, but we didn't initiate it. By the same way, it is God alone that births us. The, the scripture passage read from the book of James, chapter 1, shows that very same, same truth. By his will, he brought us forth. By his own will. It is God's doing. As a matter of fact, that word born again could literally be translated born from above. And that was kind of shocking to Nicodemus. But it is, the, it is God who is the one who is taking initiative in our salvation, which ought to thrill us to know the greatness of God's love. A second thing is that as a birth, the one born is passive at the start. He cannot birth himself. This is the work of the Spirit of God. It is God who has called you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. Jesus said, you must be born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is at work to bring what Paul describes as being dead in our trespasses and sins, being enslaved to Satan himself, being children of disobedience. It is the Spirit of God that awakens our dead minds and hearts and brings us to life through the declaration of the gospel so that we might believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, as a birth, once we are born, we are now alive. We are alive to the things of God. We were dead to those things, but now we are fully alive to God, experiencing the newness of the Christian life, and we're awake to the life that is in Jesus Christ. And there is this ongoing evidence in the life of those who are born of God, and that, that's another one of our hallmark doctrines as Baptists. We believe that if someone is truly born again, they will continue to persevere in the faith. There will continue to be evidences. And that's part of what Peter is, is talking about here. For those who are followers of Jesus Christ, because they've been born again of this imperishable seed of the gospel, they keep giving demonstration that they belong to the Lord. So if someone just kind of tosses that aside, says, eh, I'm just going to live the way I want to live. That person is not carnal or backslidden. They've never been born again. That's the problem. And so often in our Baptist circles, we, we kind of slough back from that instead of saying, what does the word teach? What does it mean to really be part of the people of God? It means We've been born again, and that seed of God that has been implanted in us continues. And so it is right and good that at the beginning of this church, the church declared, we welcome you as members if, if you are born again. 
And so we keep standing on that, and we stand together. And we happily believe that biblical truth, and we claim it as Baptists because it is biblical. So what is the evidence of this new birth, this new birth that changes how we live? Notice first that Peter tells us we obey the gospel. Now, we generally speak of believing the gospel, and that's exactly true. We find that throughout the New Testament. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. But Peter sees no distinction between believing and obeying the gospel. If we believe the gospel, we obey the gospel, that call of the gospel, to believe in the Lord Jesus, to submit to him as Lord, to follow after him. If we obey the gospel, it is because we believe it. Notice verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Paul uses similar language in Romans six seventeen. He He says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. In other words, you became obedient from the heart to the gospel. So he says, since you have an obedience. So he's making an assumption here that these church members, he says, since this is true of you, since you became obedient to the truth. And what does it mean by truth? Does it mean just saying a bunch of generic true things? No, of course not. He's talking about the gospel. And typically throughout the New Testament, that word truth is used just simply to embody that whole message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming and living a sinless life and dying a sin-atoning death and being raised from the dead and giving life to those who repent and believe. And so we, we see this driven home in, in what he means in the very last verse in this text. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This gospel was preached to you. And so we see this series of synonyms in verse 22, 23, and 25, all referring to the gospel. He calls it the truth, the imperishable word, the living and abiding word of God, and the word which was preached to you. All of that is the gospel. For it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is central to the entire revelation of Holy Scripture. So that means if I'm reading in my Old Testament that I'm to be seeing how is this Old Testament passage either shedding light on the gospel or pointing me to Christ in the gospel or giving me an illustration of it or causing me to hunger for this gospel of Jesus Christ. So Peter didn't have in mind some different truth that had affected the obedience of these believers. Instead, he meant when you heard the truth, you believed it. And upon believing this truth of the gospel, you obeyed the same gospel truth. So you believed, you obeyed, you kept living in the gospel. Now, why is that important for us to see? Well, we've witnessed for decades uh, thousands of people who've made professions that they're Christians, and yet they fall away from the faith. And we try, kind of scratch our heads and wonder, okay, how, how do we describe this? I mean, you've seen it in your church. I've seen it in churches I've pastored and been members of uh, throughout uh, the, the years of my life. 
it's not a problem of God being unfaithful. The problem is those folks were never born again. And the point that Peter's driving home to us, when you truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is going to be evidence in your life that's going to show up in your obedience. Think about what he says here. You believe this gospel, so what did you do? In obedience to the truth, you purified your soul for a sincere love of the brethren. I mean, that's why it's good for us to pause and to consider how this faithful apostle explains the evidence of the new birth, that in obedience to the truth, you purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. In other words, being a Christian is far more than making a profession of faith or walking an aisle or joining a church or living a good life. It is a life that is affected by being born from above being born of God, uh, so that you believe and you obey this gospel. In obeying it, you are trusting Christ. You're continuing to trust Christ. You're continuing to submit to him as Lord. And the impact of that is that it begins to work deeply in you. And so our lives begin to conform to the life of this crucified, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ because his life dwells within us. And that initial evidence that we belong to him is that we have a sincere love of the brethren. Faith in Jesus releases us to a life of obedience with the gospel right at the center so that we keep trusting in him. We keep seeing him to be the Savior, not ourselves, not the church as our Savior. We're not Roman Catholics. No, we believe what the Scripture says. We believe that Jesus and Jesus alone is the Savior of sinners. We believe that he is Lord of all. And so we keep following him as Lord. And so the new birth changes how we live. We obey the gospel. But second, in this new birth changing the way we live, the new birth means we hold to an unhypocritical love for the church. The new birth brings us into a big family. We got brothers and sisters that we get to know locally where the Lord puts us. And we also have a family that is extended around the globe. That's why I appreciate your praying for those brothers and sisters in Istanbul that are witnessing to this young lady and this brother in this church in Kansas. Because we got brothers and sisters all over the world. It is extraordinary to see those kinds of relationships and what God has given us. But we shouldn't be surprised. John said, 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. I like the way one writer put it. He said, the work of Jesus in the new birth gives us both new nature and new relatives. Brethren in Christ, toward whom we express this new work, this new birth. Now, Peter explains it like this. He says, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls. Here's the application of the gospel. How does it change you? How does it affect the way you live? Purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. He's saying that the natural overflow of the new birth 
with the spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling within is loving brothers and sisters whom you are covenant together with in this local church. In other words, if we call ourselves Christians and we have no interest in the church, no interest in involving ourselves with one another, no interest in giving ourselves in kindness and service to others, we've not been born again. I mean, you've probably done like me. You've talked to those folks who claim to be Christians but say they don't need the church. No, they don't need the church because they haven't been born again. When you're born again, Peter says this natural overflow of Christ dwelling in you, Christ the Savior of sinners dwelling in you, is that there's this love that begins to work into your life that you never had before. And this new birth joins us to a blood-bought family of brothers and sisters from every ethnicity and background and culture and society. And we begin to discover depths of love in relationships with others because, because the gospel has taken root with saving power in our lives. Peter calls this a sincere love of the brethren. We could translate an unhypocritical love of the brethren, a genuine love of the brethren, a selfless love of the brethren, a serious-minded love of the brethren. It is a real love that grows and matures as we grow and mature. Uh, the, the new birth works this love in us. It flows out of the new birth. It is what brings the church together. It, this love is what unites us in caring for one another. It is this love that enables us to look past differences in personalities and culture so that we care for one another. And it has just this point that the devil often attacks us. I mean, he wants to wreck our relationships. And what, so what does he do? He tries to destroy this love around us and no doubt uh, no doubt over the years you felt that attack from time to time i certainly have in, in churches that i've been part of but we must be marked by love for one another or else we are not marked by jesus christ and the gospel and so i'd ask you does your life show exactly what peter's talking about the sincere love of the brethren does that does that mark you does this point of the new birth really mark your life does your life bear testimony that you're one who obeys jesus christ in the gospel now we see the new birth changes how we live but second the new birth alters what we believe and this is so important for us to grasp because you you've maybe had the same experience i've had where you're talking with someone about the gospel and you get so frustrated because they don't seem to understand the thing you're saying. You're not being complicated. You're not giving a bunch of big terms or anything like that. But you're talking about the greatness of God's love and how he sent his son to redeem a people. And Jesus on the cross bore our sins so that we might not have to endure the wrath of God, but rather Jesus endured that wrath on our behalf. And he rose from the dead demonstrating that God accepted the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. And because of that, those who turn to him in repentance and faith, he graciously saves. Well, we try to explain that to someone and they 
They look at us like a calf looking at a new gate. Like, what is that? What are you talking about? That blank stare? Why? It's not because they're unintelligent. It's because they've not been born again. They've not had that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Remember how Paul describes our lost condition in Ephesians 4. And this is what the Holy Spirit does when we're hearing the gospel and he works to deliver us from the futility of our minds that are in rebellion against God, to enlighten our darkened understanding, to deliver us from ignorance of the gospel, and to give us a heart that is soft enough to hear and believe. That's what Peter's clarifying in verse 23. He said, why do you have this sincere love of the brethren? For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable. Now, when we plant our gardens, the seed goes into the ground and the seed dies, but in dying it brings forth the stalk of corn or, or a purple hole pea bush or what, whatever, okra. You know, it brings it forth. But he says, this seed is not like that one. This seed is imperishable. In other words, it keeps living in you which means it continues to produce fruit in you. And what is his seed? He said, you've been born again, not a seed which is perishable, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You see, apart from regeneration, apart from the new birth, our faith will focus on ourselves. Our faith will focus on our deeds. Our faith will focus on our religious practice or about our own ideas of God. But the new birth hones our hearts to be laser-focused upon Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and Jesus alone saving us. Now, how does this take place? Well, first, the gospel and the Holy Spirit synchronize in the new birth. They come together in the new birth. And that's what Peter is indicating by imperishable seed. He's speaking of the gospel of Jesus Christ he calls this gospel the living and enduring, the living and abiding, the living and ongoing word of God. He, it is the message of God's grace in Christ. It's focusing on Jesus as the only Savior of sinners, dying on the cross for us and rising from the dead to give us life forever. In other words, he's saying Jesus is the gospel. It is this Jesus revealed in Holy Scripture who is the gospel. And Peter explains, and this is the word that was preached to you. You remember how Paul told the Corinthians, I wanted to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the same thing. This is the word that was preached to you. What word? Jesus and him crucified. Jesus crucified, raised from the dead, Savior and Lord. Now, this gospel has been attacked and argued against and lambasted and criticized because it's a bloody death resurrection message. But this gospel has also been preached through the centuries to countless thousands and millions of people who have heard and obeyed from the heart this person of Jesus Christ as he's proclaimed in the gospel. You see, when we talk to someone about Christ, we're not trying to talk them into being Christians. 
If we can talk them into it, somebody else can talk them out of it. And brothers and sisters, we got to realize sometimes that's what's happened. We've been faulty. I know I have in my approach to evangelism and tried to talk someone into being a Christian and someone else talked it out of them. But when the Spirit of God is at work in regenerating, when God is acting on a dead heart and dead mind to bring to life that we might hear and believe the gospel, then that person gets saved. It's what Paul called in Titus 3, 5, the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. It's what Ezekiel 37 describes when Ezekiel had that valley of dry bones. And you remember Ezekiel saw the bones and the, the Lord said, Son of man, can these bones live? He said, you know, I mean, I don't know how they're going to live. And he said, preach, preach to the wind, to the ruach, to the breath. And so he started preaching and that breath blew into them. And that's what he's talking about. That's a beautiful illustration of the new birth. It's what Ezekiel uh, 36, 27 says, I will put my spirit within you. And because of that, he says, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You see the connection? The Holy Spirit comes. He opens our eyes. We begin to obey the gospel. We begin to live in obedience. So the Spirit of God takes that message of the gospel and brings it to life in our minds and hearts. One moment we have no interest in God. Well, I remember that as a 15-year-old. I had no interest in him. The next moment... I fell in love with Jesus. I mean, how do you describe that? Is it because, oh, I'm just a special person? No, I deserve hell. Is it because I'm smart enough to understand it? Absolutely not. That's the work of the Spirit of God. There's the grace of God acting through regeneration so that the sinner sees Jesus crucified for him, for her, raised from the dead for him, for her, and that person repents and believes and gladly follows Jesus. It is this living and enduring word of God that comes to life within. So I'd ask you, on this special day in the life of this church, have you been born again? We can say, well, yeah, I'm a member of a church. I've been baptized. No, that's not the question. Remember what Jesus asked Nicodemus. Did he say, Nicodemus? How many good deeds have you done? How many lessons have you taught? How much good have you done for Israel? And he had done much of that. He just said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. You see, the flesh will do anything to resist the gospel. It will make up its own convincing arguments as to why the gospel doesn't apply to, the, to him or to her or doesn't work in that person's life. But the new birth changes all that. Have you been born again? But notice this new birth that alters what we believe is not only the gospel and the Holy Spirit synchronizing, bringing us to life, but second, the gospel work endures forever. Now, what Peter does, and he does this throughout his epistle, he quotes the Old Testament. He didn't have a New Testament to walk around the way we do. He had the Old Testament scriptures. But he saw what we would say are New Testament truths out of that 
Old Testament Scripture. That was his Bible. And he preached Jesus out of that Bible. And so he quotes Isaiah, and he and Isaiah use synonyms for the gospel in verses 24 and 25. He says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory, all the glory of humanity, in other words, is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Now, humanity is part of creation is withering and fading like grass and like the flower, and it dies. I mean, he, he's pointing out to us, we die and we face divine judgment. Humanity in all of its glory is full of arrogance and pride, but we wither and we die. But by the grace of God, the word of the Lord, the gospel, causes us to live forever. It is an imperishable seed. It keeps on working in us. It keeps on living in us. That's why we keep obeying it, because it is an imperishable seed. And he makes this clear that he's not talking about just learning a bunch of Bible facts. Rather, he's talking about the whole message of the Bible, the very aim from Genesis to Revelation is to reveal Jesus Christ, the God-man who died for sinners and rose to life, who saves us by his righteous offering of himself to God on our behalf. You know, Jesus believed this. It wasn't just Peter. Jesus believed it. You remember in John 5, verses 39 and 40, he was talking to the religious leaders, and he said, you search the scriptures because you think in them uh, you have eternal life. It is these, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures, it is these that testify about me. And then he said, and here's your problem, and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. Jesus said, the word of God testifies about him, and it is Jesus alone in whom we believe that we may have eternal life. And only as we come to him through the proclamation of the gospel, by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, do we receive forgiveness in life forever. Do you believe this gospel of Jesus? Then you're new birth people. You believe this gospel. And that's really what we celebrate together, isn't it? I mean, it's wonderful that there was a birth of a church 59 years ago, but even grander that we celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ by which sinners as we are become children of God through whom he unites us together to be part of the local congregation of believers. So the new birth changes how we live. The new birth alters what we believe. And third, the new birth spurs the way we love one another. Now, I want us to return to verse 22. I intentionally passed over it for this reason, uh, the, the, the last clause in verse 22, because I want you to see that the only way that we can obey this command to fervently love one another from the heart is by first experiencing the new birth. Sometimes we put the cart before the horse and we read the Bible, oh, this is what I got to do to be a Christian. I got to fervently love one another from the heart. No, 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 no. This is what you do because you are a Christian. Because you have experienced a new birth. 
And Peter does the same with other commands in uh, verse 13, uh, to fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That flows out of redemption. Be holy uh, yourselves also in all your behavior in verse 15. Uh, In verse 17, to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold. What were you redeemed by? By that precious blood of the Lamb of God. In all these commands, he keeps going back and saying, you need to be obedient, not, not to earn any standing with God. You've already got that standing in Christ. And he wants us, he wants us to understand that. I mean, Peter was dealing with a bunch of legalists. And that's our basic human nature. I mean, you don't, you don't go to work, punch a time clock, and just sit there and do nothing and, and get a paycheck at, a couple of weeks later. No, you're working, aren't you, and you're getting something. I mean, we're, we're used to doing that. And those are good things. That's appropriate. But grace is different. Grace means you work not to get grace, but because grace has been rooted in your life. The gospel has changed you. And so he's declaring if we've been born again through this imperishable seed of the gospel, giving evidence in obedience to the truth and manifesting itself in an unhypocritical love for the brethren, then and only then does he say, can we fervently love one another from the heart? Otherwise, we become frustrated legalists who think that by working hard, God's going to save us. He will not save us for anything we do. He saves us because of what Jesus has done. And the more we learn that, the more liberated we are to walk in faithful obedience to the Lord. He changes our whole disposition and spurs us to loving our brothers and sisters. Now, the the pattern we see so often in the New Testament is that if this is true of you, if what God has worked in you, if this is true, then continue in what is true with greater intensity. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Paul wrote uh, to that church and said, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. In other words, Paul said, you're walking and pleasing God. Excellent. Good. Excel still more. Keep pressing on. You haven't arrived. And Peter does the same thing. He says, because of the new birth, you've obeyed the truth of the gospel. It's evident by purifying your souls in a sincere love of the brethren. And now that this is true of you, verse 22, he says, fervently love one another from the heart. Excel still more. Don't be satisfied with it with where you are spiritually. All of us have ample room to grow and mature. So keep growing and keep maturing in love for one another from the depths of your heart. Now, what does that look like? We could probably talk about a whole lot of things. I'm going to zero in on four things very simply. One, we're to practice the one another passages with fervency. Think about how over 30 times 
in the New Testament, it says something like, love one another, be kind to one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, encourage one another, admonish one another. You, you remember those passages? You see them running throughout the New Testament. That's how we love each other. We see though, I mean, if you say, how am I going to love these brothers and sisters? Look up one another. Get on that electronic concordance, or if you've got the old strong concordance, look it up and see where they are. That's how I'm going to love one another. That's how I'm going to love the brethren. And so I would say as you celebrate 59 years as a church, intensify the practice of these one another passages. Excel still more. A second thing, we're to show selfless generosity. One of the things that you see at the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 is this incredibly generous spirit. And then in subsequent passages, as you read through the book of Acts, you see the church continually giving themselves to one another to care for one another and giving toward the mission and ministry of the church. They would do it sacrificially because they knew that sacrificial giving was a reflection of the Lord who had sacrificed for them in the giving of his son. And so I would say, let generosity abound more and more. Excel in it. A third thing, we're to humbly serve one another. Think about John 13. Jesus is getting ready to be arrested and go to the cross. And what does he do? He washes the feet of the disciples doing the thing that the lowliest person in the house would be doing. Jesus does that. And he told the disciples who were dumbfounded, he said, you go and do the same. In other words, Jesus said, do you want to be like me? Then be a humble servant. Wash one another's feet. Care for one another. Humbly serve each other. The church is no place for playing the big shot or thinking the church exists for you. No, the church is a place in which we exist for one another to the glory of God and the way we care for one another. Excel still more. And then the fourth thing, we're to be searching the scriptures, praying, and worshiping together. We see that evident with the Bereans who search the scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul and Silas had said were really true. They were, they were studying the word together. Peter's next exhortation in chapter 2, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. What are we doing as we gather together as the people of God? We're studying the scriptures. We're praying together. We're worshiping together. And what happens as a result of that? We fervently love one another from the heart. That love grows out of our life of going deep in our devotion to Christ, deep in our worship, and it overflows in love. And so I would say, excel still more. Where the new birth affects the way we live, it affects the way we believe. But here's where some get frustrated. They attempt to live the Christian life without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And so... I mean, some get so frustrated that they get angry at the church. The church can't do anything for me. Now, the problem is they've never been born again. Do not, do not make the mistake of thinking I'm a Christian because I'm in a church. 
So many people make that mistake. No, I'm a Christian because of what God has done in Christ, because of that work of the Holy Spirit in birthing me so that I see Christ crucified for me and raised from the dead. And as a result of that, I want to fervently love one another from the heart and to excel still more in that. May the Lord enable you to do that as his people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for your faithfulness to honor what you have revealed in Jesus Christ. And we pray that in these moments, if there are some among us that have not been born again, that by your wonderful mercy, you would open their eyes and understanding and your Holy Spirit would work in them and show them Christ crucified and raised from the dead and bring them to faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus. And I pray for these dear folks. I pray that you would allow them to build on what you have done in their lives in the past, but that they might excel still more because of the love you have shown them so abundantly in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's join our hearts together to sing unto the Lord. All right, so if you would, go ahead and stand with us again. And we're going to respond in singing.